This is Timothy Theory, and you're listening to Wrestling with PTSD. Boom. Before we get into today's show, I want to talk about PTSD in itself. Yes. It is not a joke. And as I said, we take it very seriously. We are not making light of the situation. It just happens to be our initials, PT Primetime and Sunny DSD. So if you are, are suffering from PTSD, please do not uh, hesitate to find help. There's plenty of platforms out there so you could find help for PTSD. Definitely. And one of them, what you can do is uh, we have a number here at 877 877- 726-4727. This is the hotline that is available between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern time to provide any type of mental health information or any type of treatment referral. You can definitely give them a call. Again, that's 877-726-4727. Again, if you are suffering from any type of PTSD, we do take it seriously over there. So if you like, give them a call. They will assist you with anything, any type of treatment that you need as well. You are now listening to The Sounds of Primetime. Boom! And Sunny D. Moving on. This is wrestling with PTSD. Yeah! Welcome to wrestling with PTSD. My name is Prime Time. I'm Sunny D. Whoa, prime time. Are you good on that one? You got to pay yourself. Uh, we got a long uh, episode. I know, a very long episode. You know how to calm myself down because, you know, I'm a little <laughs> excited because this is one of my favorite wrestlers personally, and I know as, you, as well as yours. Of course. We are talking about, I'm going to let you say his name because I can't roll the R's, but I will give you every <laughs> single I know name to call him by. We're going to say the man with the most machismo, the, the bad guy, my personal favorite, the bad guy nickname. And then... You can say his name again. I can't roll those are as perfect as you, so Sunny D, let it rip, bro. Hey, yo, we're going to be talking about Reza Ramon. Boom. Again, <laughs> one of my favorite, a.k.a. Scott Hall, when he went to other promotions. But There's again, a lot. Of, we're going to get to a lot of a.k.a.s in a minute. Yeah, a whole lot of names. But again, uh, we're going to discuss this coming up. And let's let it roll, Sunny D. Do it. Let's get it. Scott Oliver Hall was born October 20th, 1958, in St. Mary's County, Maryland. He went by many ring names, the Starship Coyote, Magnum, Texas Scott when he was working in Germany, the Diamond Stud, the bad guy, Razor, Ramon, the best name, and Scott Hall. Razor Ramon was his best one, his best one, honestly. You said it, and I'm saying it again. You know, I can't help it. It's the best. You I, know? I personally think it's the, the, the best one because Razor Ramon, I like, honestly, even when I was younger, uh, his little uh, razor that was always on his pants, like, I was only like five or six when I, I remember him wearing this. I actually didn't know it was a razor. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, uh, when they used to come down here, like, uh, to Stabler and stuff like that, I remember getting some of his uh, arena gear and stuff like that, and I wore his uh, his mobilia because it, it, it's a, it's a razor, it's a golden razor that was on a necklace. I took yeah. it to school. I remember it. I remember that. <laughs> I thought it was so cool because you know Razor Ramon, the toothpick guy, just he looked cool, talked cool. I went to school with that thing around my neck. They shut that shit down. They sent me home. There. They took it out. They made me take it off. They called my parents and said it was something that wasn't allowed in school because it was a weapon. 
I'm like, dude, it's a plastic little razor. There's nothing wrong with it. He said his name on it. But yes, I love Razor. I have a lot of his memorabilia, but that was one of the times that I remember, especially being younger. <laughs> Yo, I swore back in the day he was actually Hispanic, bro. I swear to God, I thought he was his whole career until I really found out he wasn't because yeah. he played that character so well. And his accent, I mean, granted, it was a fake accent because, you know, he was just trying to play off a different character from a movie. But he played that to perfection, man. I mean, the color, his tint of his skin, his hair, I 100% thought he was. And what reiterated me thinking that he was Hispanic was I knew a Cuban dude named Armando Hall, and he was straight <laughs> from Cuba. And I, I, I thought I, I legitimately thought he was Hispanic. And, and that when I when I met this Armando guy, that that uh that solidified it for me. You know, yep. there was no doubts in my head that he was not uh, actually Cuban, but he's and, not. And from what I hear, we're not the only people who actually thought that because a lot of his little vignettes that we're going to be talking about in the future on this podcast, uh, a lot of the people like from the ghettos that he were going to actually respected him and let him do this because they thought he was actually a part of the Spanish community. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, right now, uh, let's take it there. So let's move on. Let's do it. Before he made his big ring debut, Scott Hall was a bartender at a strip club. Now, you know how that goes. You know, wild, uh, wild sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know? That, that, and that plays a major part in his career later on throughout his whole career. Uh, but, yeah, this is all where it started. It's, it's strange because it all started him as a, being a bartender and as his size. I would never think that he would a bartender, maybe like a bouncer. Maybe? A bouncer, right? Yeah. Something like that, especially how big it is. But can you guys see like this guy giving you like a mojito or like yeah. a, a, some type of mixed drink of sex on the yeah. beach? Like, here you go, sir. Like, what? <laughs> hey, yo, here's your sex on the beach. Yeah, you know, imagine <laughs> that big dude giving you one of those drinks. I don't know. I just never could see him being a bartender, but a bouncer, yes. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Now, January 15th, 1983, in Orlando, Florida, where he was working, Hall got into a heated argument with uh, a female he was messing with. Apparently, she had a boyfriend. So he, he went to the bar to um, confront the guy. So uh, words were exchanged, and the guy went outside and smashed out all the windows in Scott Hall's car. So, you know, that's an ass whooping right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's an ass whooping. Uh, I mean, especially if he was drinking, especially being a bartender, he probably had a couple of shots in his system. But yeah, uh, I felt sorry for this guy because he got his ass whooped. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to just tell you this. If you have a girl who's sleeping with everybody else, don't fight for her honor, dude. Just leave her. I'm saying, and I, I mean, not, not to be like weird or anything, but he's a good looking guy. Like yeah. he's huge, muscular uh, the look, I mean, he had like a, a mustache back in the day, but he got rid of that in the future and they've got the, the natural razor look. But yeah. he's a good looking guy. You're telling me you can't pull anyone at the bar that you're sitting there, but you're fighting over a girl who has a man. I, I just find that ridiculous. Let me re reiterate that. If you're dating a girl and she's sleeping with a six foot seven, 290 pound monster, just let it go, bro. Just let it just go. Let it go. Lost, yeah, you, you lost. <laughs> it's not worth Getting your ass whooped, especially I know he got his ass whooped, especially because if you were breaking out, so that is an automatic ass whooping. So, yeah, so um, another patron came in and told Scott Hall that uh, this guy was busting out the windows in his car. So, um, Scott Hall went out the bar to confront him, the angry boyfriend. You know, uh, uh, a fight ensued, and Scott Hall punched the guy in the face. And when he went down, the guy's uh, shirt went up. And Scott Hall saw that he had a gun in his waistband. 
so they started uh like scuffling for the for the handgun because mm-hmm. the, the boyfriend reached for it but you know being 290 pounds six foot seven you're gonna be stronger Scott Hall wrestled the gun away from him and uh in the heat of the moment he shot the man in the head killing him instantly so wow yeah. and it's crazy how this 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 whole situation probably could have been avoided in a whole bunch of different situations. But again, it's at a bar. People are probably drinking, acting a fool, and and honestly, this is a a big thing that he said even with a couple documentaries I was watching that this changed his life forever because he thought he was going to do life in jail. Yeah, he was uh, he was charged with second degree murder, so um, that's a good indication that you're looking at doing life in murder for a life in jail. You know. Yeah, he, he was terrified. He said he didn't know what to do with his life, especially when all this was going down. Like, he was so confused, and he was heavily drinking as well during all this process. As well. Yeah, so luckily the case was dismissed because the evidence against him was deemed insufficient. So uh, Hall, looking for a, a new outlet, started prof- uh, training to be a professional wrestler, and he he was trained under Hiro Matsuda. Now, if for those of you know who don't know who Hiro Matsuda is, he's the one who trains the legendary immortal Hulk Hogan to say your prayers, eat your vitamins that Sunny D loves and adore. Uh, <laughs> so, so with that being said, he taught Hulk Hogan to do the five moves of Doom. Yes, yes, ladies and hey, gentlemen. Yes. Hey, what are you? What are you? What are you? Great. All you need is five moves. That that's true. I mean, I, I, that's one thing I cannot knock Hulk Hogan for is he can rock a Yeah, crowd. think about it. He can get that. John he, Cena, he, Bret Hart, Kevin Nash, yep. they all have five moves. Yeah, that is true. And guess what? They all made it work. There's a character. Their their characters were just out of this world, which pretty much basically carried them throughout their whole whole career. Yeah. So um, Scott Hall began training his career. Well, uh, let me. Let me just say it again. After Scott Hall trained, he began his career in NWA uh, South in the Flo- uh, Florida Territory. It was Dusty Rhodes promotion. It was championship wrestling from Florida. He was paired with Dan Spivey. Um, Dan Spivey will become on be, will go on to become one of the the, the skyscrapers. Uh, but they were both uh, you know green at this time, and and when they were put together, they were called the American Starship. Uh, Scott Hall was Starship Coyote and Dan Spivey was Starship Eagle. Those are fucking funny names. Oh, yeah. I just want to know who came up with these names, especially in the NWA. Uh, and he said this was the, uh, Dusty Rhodes territory, which is actually pretty cool because later on in WCW, Dusty Rhodes will actually show up in one of Scott yeah. Hall's actual matches and help him out, which was like full circle. Uh, but this is something I didn't even know. Like, uh, he. He uh he worked for Dusty. I know that he worked for NWA. I completely forgot that Dusty had a big hand with the NWA. Uh, but to see this and honestly, I seen a couple matches with these guys. They were actually a legit team because they were both pretty big guys. Yeah, but and they were just using a lot of powerhouse moves. Yeah, but they were you know they're both green, so you know they'll use for enhancement ty- uh talent to put yeah, everybody else over. <laughs> they usually lost and uh, didn't at one point in time when they uh I forget who left. Did it be Undertaker take their Position? That was with the skyscrapers. That was later on in, in WCW. Yes. Okay. okay. So I do yeah. remember that as well. All right. So uh, Dan Spivey, for those of you who don't know, he went on to become Waylon Mercy in the mid nineties in WWF. He was this. Uh, he was a character based off this movie called uh, Cape Fear. He had the tagline: "Lives will be in the hands of Waylon Mercy." You know what I mean? Which 
uh, which became the uh, this Waylon Mercer character. For those who don't know, became the inspiration for the original Bray Wyatt character. Yes, and I honestly say Bray Wyatt. Uh, I mean, even right now he's doing the scene. I felt like his uh, his group thing that he did with the Wyatt family was on point. Yep. Uh, I, I felt like they could have done a lot more. Hopefully, they even bring that back at some point in time if they could. Uh, but I love that character. And when Dan Spivey, I found out it was basically off Dan Spivey's thing. I was like shocked uh, because he took a major, uh, a lot of major, um, how can I say, influence from that character and put it to his Bray Wyatt character, like spot on. Yeah. Um, and even in today, was it the Firefly, the Firefly Funhouse? Uh, yeah. There's a buzzard named Mercy and he has the flower shirt on. The- oh, see that. See, those are those little uh, Easter eggs that WWE play in there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, so while they were in, while the the they were the, the American Starship in um uh, Florida Championship Wrestling, they drew uh they jobbed throughout the Southern territories. You know, cutting their teeth in professional wrestling, trying to you know learn learn their craft. Mm-hmm. So in 1985, Scott Hall started wrestling for AWA. Um, Vern Gagne, who owned AWA try to push Scott Hall as their version of Hulk Hogan, who recently left AWA for the WWF. So, um, but still, good. I'm sorry. I was going to say, that might have even been, it could have even worked because, not to lie, I mean, uh, Razor Ramon was big, Scott Hall was big, but back in the day, he was jacked. Jacked. Like, he was a humongous dude, man. Yeah, he was Big Scott Hall then. That was his name. And he was yeah. jacked. It, it was jacked. And then, you know, uh, I, I'm surprised. I mean, uh, this, it could have worked because, again, Hulk Hogan was another big dude. But, Ray, I mean, uh, Scott Hall was definitely up there in size. So I could have definitely seen this work. Yeah. So um, in 1986, he formed a tag team with Kurt Henning, you know, who would go on to become Mr. Perfect, you know. so Another one of my favorite, personal favorites as yeah. well, man. So, good. I was gonna say, I, I mean, it's great to see you know, um, he- hearing anything about Mister Perfect pop up or even someone that you enjoy, especially seeing them teaming up with someone that some other wrestler that you like, especially in the past, and then you see him in the future. It's great to see some stuff like that happen. Yeah, they, they uh, they went on to defeat Jimmy Garvin and Steve Regal for the AWA World Tag Team Championships on January eighteenth, nineteen eighty six. Now you see the name Steve Regal, you think of William Regal. But it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. It was somebody totally different with the name. And honestly, I, I really thought that was really cool for a yeah. second when we were reading the notes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting, too. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not him. It was somebody else. So um, after the, the duo lost the tag titles, they split up. Hall, uh, Scott Hall was put in the main event title picture. First, he lost to uh, the Lariat Stan Hansen. Uh, for the AWA World Championship, and then uh, Ric Flair went on to win it. And then when Scott Hall, uh, not Ric Flair, excuse me, Rick Martel went on to uh, win it. And then when Scott Hall challenged Rick Martel uh, for the heavyweight championship, he lost as well. Um, after that, he left. He left the AWA for uh, NWA, which was later known as WCW. The reason why he cites leaving uh, AWA, he said it was a sinking ship. And he kind of called it because it was a couple of years later. It was out of business. That 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 is definitely correct. So it was great. I mean, uh, it was good on his part to know that something was happening there and to see himself actually get out of that predicament and go to a different promotion, uh, which actually definitely helped his career a lot. 
Yeah. So um, while he was in, in the 1990, while he was in NWA, he jobbed to various wrestlers. He was used as as enhancement talent, which is weird. A guy that big jobbing, that's just that makes no and, sense to me. And and for his size, he was very athletic, especially with a couple names that you're going to be bringing up. I'm just uh, uh, I'm just shocked. Uh, I mean, I can see maybe being an enhancement just to make these guys look good uh, because all the names that you're going to mention are legends. But damn, yeah, <laughs> uh, he, with his size and speed and his look, I just I don't know how he can be an, an enhancement. Uh, yeah. That's just ridiculous in my eyes, man. Yeah, he jobbed to the great Muda, Mike Rotundo, Sid Vicious, Ron Simmons, and Butch Reed, to name a few. And uh, again, that's a whole caliber of names. Those are all legends in one shape or another. Uh, again, jobbing to them. Uh, wow, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And it's just like, again, it's the size difference. That's crazy. Like, imagine Scott Hall compared to the Great Muda, but the Great Muda beat him, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's crazy how wrestling works, man. You know, I guess the bigger name or whoever you're trying to promote, you know, that's it. That's that's how it goes. You got to make them look good. All right. Now, throughout 1990, he wrestled for a few different promotions. He uh, wrestled for New Japan Pro Wrestling, Catch Wrestling Association, and uh, Germany ran by Otto Vance. He, he wrestled in for the World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico, ran by Carlos Colon, all with minimal success before returning to WCW in 1991. Now, uh, one thing about uh, the, the Catch Wrestling Association, his name was Texas Scott. He was supposed to be a cowboy. So, <laughs> I, I, I just I see I'm always confused. What is with wrestling and cowboys? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The, the, do they like I, they never work hand to hand? You had like, you know, the smoking guns. Uh, and and others, I just I just don't ever see that. Yeah, the Blackjacks, Bret Hart's, Black Hart's original character in the WWF was supposed to be uh, a cowboy. A cowboy, exactly. And uh, he, uh, thank God, he he said that he wasn't going to do that because uh, I feel like his career would have went total left or total right field if he actually would have did something as dumb as being a cowboy. Which I just I understand like. Everything had a gimmick back then, but why was everything a cowboy? <laughs> <laughs> I know, for real. Uh, either a cowboy or you were like a ladies' man. Yeah, something in between that. Yeah. It was just like, and then you had what, uh, the Montaro, remember him? The dude Man- was, Mantar? Ma- Mantar, Mantar. <laughs> yeah, you, you, know, you got characters like that are so ridiculous. Bastion Booger. But I, I, again, a cowboy. I mean, there's so many ideas you could come up with. And some of them are real ridiculous, but come on with the Cowboys. <laughs> now, April 29th, uh, 1991, Scott Hall made his WCW return under the new name of the Diamond Stud, and he was managed by one Diamond Dallas Page. And so, you want ahead. to know something? I did not know this for a fact. I, I, I did not know that him and Diamond Dallas Page were actually uh, a little bit of a, a group there. You know, him being his manager, I absolutely did not know about that. I honestly thought they didn't even think he went to WCW first before he went to WWF. I had no idea until you sent me these notes. Yes, uh, the height of his run there it was like really forgettable. Um, it was the Chambers of Horror match in 1991, and I I, uh, I advise everybody if you want to know what that's about, go on the WWF or WWE Network and check it out. Um, <laughs> And I, I, I always text you these, uh, uh, you know, here and there, and I always say, man, WCW always has some strange ideas. Yeah, they were. This is one of those strange ideas. Yeah, this match ended with the Great Muda being, was it the Great, no, not the Great Muda, excuse me, was it Mick, Mick Foley or Abdullah the Butcher? 
Abdul the Butcher got electrocuted. Yeah, electri- he, they put him in an electric chair and they got electrocuted. Now, it's it, funny because uh, during the match, the lever fell down. So at the end, the guy <laughs> had to pick up the lever and bring it back down again. So it was just horrible. Yeah, it was one of those gimmick matches that the gimmick was so outrageous because weren't there like seven people or nine people in the yeah, match? It was, well? Yeah, it was. It was, it was a huge, like, just a clusterfuck sting, the Steiner brothers, Lex Luger, uh, Abdullah the Butcher, Cactus Jack, uh, Scott Hall, and I some other. Know. Yeah, I, I just want to know, like, what's going through your mind as a professional wrestler? Like, this is the type of match that you're going to be into, and this is how it's going to finish. You now, know, I, I just uh, ridiculous ideas for WCW yeah. all the time, man. Now, before he left, he, uh, Scott Hall left or the Diamond Stud left WCW, he was in a, a very, very short-lived stable called the Diamond Mine. And, th- and that stable was uh, the Diamond Stud, Vinny Vegas, who who would later to go on to be Kevin Nash, and Scott Flamingo, who will later on to will go on to become Raven. So that's a little crazy uh, group right there. If you think about it, in 97, imagine if you had a stable, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Raven. And and I and I, it's crazy how they were all at one group at point another, and then Kevin Nash and Scott Hall come back together, and Raven just gets his whole flock again. These are all different characters until what made them into what they were. You know, it's it's crazy how they evolved. I love wrestling because of stuff like this. You know. Yeah, you know, it's crazy how you can just go online and see how one person's career started until how they finished. And see, like, they went through, like, nine different character changes throughout their whole career. But, like, geez, man, it's crazy. All right. Now, in uh, 1992, Scott Hall joined the WWF. Now, he was introduced through a series of Scarface, the movie-inspired vignettes. Some of the most classic vignettes to date, I might add. (laughs) And uh, these, these are great in my eyes because... Uh, I just went through a couple of them in the last couple of days, and I didn't realize there were so many vignettes. And some of them, in my eyes, that that made uh, some of them very great was the one where he went to the wishing well, and <laughs> he was like, I, "I'm making wishes. I, I want my wishes to come true." And then there's some guy just sitting there, like making a wish on a coin in there, and he just mushes them right into yeah. <laughs> into the uh, the uh, the giant fountain, and he the guy just starts running around, and he was like, "Yeah." I'm just that I have I'm, I'm better than you, and it worked. It's crazy how his character, like I just don't understand how Vince McMahon didn't know what his character was. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, he brought that idea to Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson for Scarface and and um for Star Starface character. Now uh, they figured, wow, this guy's a genius because they never saw the movie. <laughs> and it, and it's crazy how far this character went because again he was a heel character coming in and the people just started to love him because he was so good at being a bad guy. He was so athletic in the ring and the things that he was saying would make you laugh. And the things that he's doing, like being a bad guy and then he's just disrespecting people in these little vignettes just had to make you laugh all the time. Now there's a vignette that he goes to a fruit stand and takes an apple, takes a bite of it and spits it in the, 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 in the, the grocer's uh the fruit stand attendant's face. So I, I would think they use that later on in the future, that same thing. Yeah, with Carlito. Yep. Uh, yeah, they, they use a lot from that. And and the crazy thing is a lot of these things uh Vignette they were doing, it would just be in the middle of busy places where people were just like, Oh, what's going on? What's going on? And you know, you see the people like he's legitly in the ghetto, you yeah. know, where you really don't see that type of stuff. And they respected him and that character because he was doing it so well. 
And then let's talk about what he was wearing. And oh. All these, oh, my God, <laughs> top notch. He had all the gold around his neck. He always had that nice toothpick and that little jerry curl on top. Man. Yeah. That was, that was just swag, bro. That was yeah. all it was. <laughs> Be- before there was swag, there was Razor Ramon. Exactly. He uh, pretty much is a definition of swag. Like, you look yep. him up, he's right there. Uh, there's a picture of him because this man, Machismo, you know, they gave him that name because that was him. Just he was so great at that character and he just brought it to life. <laughs> I can say so many more things, but we got to move on. <laughs> okay, so on August 8th, 1992, uh, Razor, Razor Ramon made his debut on Superstars, defeating a local jobber by the name of Paul Von Dow with the crucifix fallen powerbomb called the Razor's Edge. What are your thoughts on, on that finisher right there? Dude, that is probably top five of finishing. Might even be the top number one uh, because I, I, I besides a, a regular powerbomb, I think this is another variation of that. Uh, but I love this move. It just, you know, how the body just hits the ground. It looks very yeah. devastating. And what got me was how he always set it up. You know how he always made that face and he said it's over and then he like opened his arms and just said, you know. Yeah, did the cross? Yeah. Yeah, crossed his arms and said it was over and then he set it up and Every time I felt like he did it, he always put a little stank on it at the end. You yeah. Know? You know, some people sold it better than the others. I love that when people would sell it, when they'll take it and they'll roll over. That was the way, my favorite way they took it. Yeah, that was the best now, way. And the thing was, he always, how can I say, he always, you knew that was the end. Because it was one of those moves that were so protected. Once yep. he hit it, it was one, two, three, it's over. Yep, that's, that, you know, in my opinion, that's what's missing in wrestling today. There's no more protected moves. Everybody's kicking out the finishers that they're no longer finishers. This is true. The only person I know for a fact that their move is protected is Baron Corbin's, uh, what was it, uh, the, deep, the, not the Deep Six, the other one, I, I think it is. Uh, end of Days. End of Days, which is I think is a beautiful move for his size. Uh, and the way I, I have never seen anyone kicked out of it, maybe Roman one time, but even then, I, I don't even think he did it. Two more guys I'll give you who are protected moves Randy Orton's uh, RKO mm-hmm. and, and uh, Kenny Obega's One Winged Angel. And that that is another. Both of those moves are great, uh, especially Randy. I love Randy Orton's RKO because he can add it nowhere. But Kenny Omega's One Winged Angel, again, that's one of those moves that he even says that I'd rather not see anybody kick out of it. Only yeah. if it's like a big match. And the only person I think to kick out of was that Okada? Or did uh, he even kick out? I don't even think he uh, did. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Moving on. Okay. Now, his first major angle with the WWF was with Randy Savage. With Macho Man. Yeah. Macho Man Randy Savage. Brother. Uh, why does it whenever somebody says his name, you have to talk like him? I don't know. It, it's just because... <laughs> That that was macho, man. I I feel like if you're not doing the voice, is it really macho? Yeah, is it really macho, man? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And the thing was, yeah, it, it, with macho man is he had so many aneurysms or like certain things that he would do, like you could just copy it. It was great. Yeah. So um, death you started when uh, macho man was uh wrestling your favorite uh superstar of all time, Ric Flair. For the WWF World Title, and uh, Razor Ramon interfered in that match, and um, it cost Macho Man the match. So go ahead, tell us about your 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 man, Ric Flair. 
So let's yeah, Ric Flair. Fuck Ric Flair. All right, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna do this every single episode. We have to again. There will be a shirt that will be produced, and they, they, you know you can buy and all that stuff. It's gonna say "fuck you, Ric Flair." All right. And the thing is, I don't know who I hate more, Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan. I feel like I don't know. Most of the time, I feel like it's Ric Flair. Oh, oh. <laughs> and then when we talk about Hulk Hogan, I feel like I feel like whoever we're talking about at the moment, I hate more. So it, 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 they're both up there. <laughs> now this uh, feud culminated in it was supposed to culminate in a tag team match in the 1992 Survivor Series between Razor Ramon and Ric Flair versus Randy Savage and Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. Now Warrior left the company before this, so uh, he was replaced by Mister Perfect. And you know what? I was pretty disappointed in that because. Uh, again, I'm the type of person who loves tag teams that dress up with the same attire. Man, my, I mean, I'm sorry. The uh, Macho Man and the Warrior, when they came out with that yellow and black outfit, so, you know, when they were doing those little... Yeah. Uh, the Ultimate looked, Maniacs? Yes, they look so good. They look so good. And guess what? They never even used it. Oh, yeah. man. And the thing is, like, I, ha- I, 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 I have the action figures downstairs, and I get so mad because... It was never used on TV. Don't get me wrong. It was used on TV, but never in a match. I remember when they formed, uh, Macho Man gave Ultimate Warrior sunglasses and, and uh, Ultimate Warrior gave Macho Man knee pads. <laughs> that's, <laughs> oh, that's, what, a- that's what brought them together. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? That's a fair trade-off, I guess. You take my glasses and you take my knee pads. Yep. Wrestling. Pro wrestling at the time, you know? Yeah. So uh, Savage and Perfect won by disqualification when uh, Ric Flair and Razor Bone got disqualified. So that's how that match ended. So, you know. And uh, the one reason uh, when, you know, we, 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 we take, we uh, pick like some of the best matches. The reason why I picked this is because this was early on in Razor Ramon's career. And he's in there with three legends. Mr. Perfect. He, Who he teamed with. Exactly. He teamed with. And he's going against Ric Flair. And then. Oh, no, no. Did he team up with Mr. Perfect? I thought... Well, no, he teamed up with Mr. Perfect and AWA. Yes, yes, yes. But at this point in time, in this match, he was teaming up with Ric Flair. He's going against Mr. Perfect and Macho Man. Dude, it must have been an honor to be in the ring with those guys at that time, especially early on in his career. And I felt like watching this match, he was learning, you know? And But the thing was, he was still giving it as much as he was learning. And I felt like... This is one of those matches that pretty much propelled him into stardom because I felt like after this, this is where you saw him into the bigger matches, you know, and going on into his career at the WWF. Now, his next program was a big one. It was with Brett the Hitman Hart for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. And uh, they have a, they had a great, and in my opinion, a highly underrated uh, title match at the 1993 Royal Rumble. What were your thoughts on that match right there? Oh, man, this was great. Uh, I was actually watching this with my wife, and uh, I love this because you have the bad guy, pretty much the heel guy in Razor Ramon, and the good guy in Bret Hart. And before this match even starts, what had me going was, you know when Bret Hart used to come out, his attire was great. So was yeah. Razor Ramon. He was wearing all pink. Razor Ramon had the, the, the red with the golden um, the razors. On the, the razors on his outfit. And... What got me was when shot. I mean, I'm sorry. When Bret Hart came out, he you know gives his glasses to the to the little kid and stuff. You have Razor Ramon in the ring. He's like, 
what the hell is this? He goes out, <laughs> takes his little pit from his mouth and throws it at the kid. Yo, I, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I went wild for it. I was like, this is great. Uh, I, I felt like that that was the type of character work that made him so good. Just uh, something simple as that. But even besides that, the match was great. Uh, I But my personal favorite thing was the, the ending of the match where he went from, I, I think it was like the figure four somehow reversed it into the uh the uh the the shooter, and yep. it was over i thought that was spectacular yeah uh this uh, this is the match where the, we saw bret hart do his uh dive through the ropes this is the first time bret, uh, bret hart ever did it or was in this match uh, re- really i i honestly i don't think i i remember that part but uh but this whole match had a whole bunch of highlights yeah. but with that uh being said like that was one of the things that came out of this match i'm glad it did because bret hart actually used that throughout his whole career after that anyways yeah, you know, going back to um, Razor Ramon's uh, toothpick flick. Uh, this is later on. Uh, Jerry Lawler had a took brought a toothpick with him, and he broke it in half. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, Razor Ramon flicked it at Jerry Lawler, and Jerry Lawler had this broken toothpick between his, between his fingers, and he was pretending that it landed in his eye. That it was so hilarious the way he was playing it off that it was in his eye. It was great. You know, <laughs> and uh, I, I want to say this. Uh, uh, I know that we're talking about, you know, uh, wrestling all together. Can we talk about the announcers? I'm going to say this in this match with Bret Hart and Razor Ramon. The the broadcast, right? It was Bobby the Brain Heater and Gorilla Monsoon. My right. God. Everyone says that Jim Ross and Jerry the Clean Lawler are the best announcers ever. I would have to put that against them. These two will go against yeah. them any single time because yeah. Bobby the Brain Heaton is a hyster- hysterical on that. Any single time he's talking, I'm always laughing because yeah. uh, during this match, uh, the thing was, it, 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 this all started because Razor Ramon pretty much attacked Bret Hart's brother, you know, Owen Hart in the back and stuff like that. And I added up. Right. But another thing was that Gorilla Monsoon was building up that Razor Ramon was so big that he could not get the finishing move of the sharpshooter on him. Bret Hart couldn't do it. And that right. played out throughout the match. And the last thing you know is that sharpshooter came out of nowhere and it was over. So it all built up. And that announced team again was 10 out of 10. One of my personal favorites. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. I just like when uh, Gorilla Monsoon would tell Bobby, will you stop? Oh, yeah. We'll just be quiet. <laughs> you, know, it's yeah. you know, they're always going back and forth. They're always breakering. And, it's crazy how, you know, they had that and then they went to Jerry the King Lawler and a whole bunch of other people. But I feel like those are my personal favorites. Don't get me wrong. I love Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross. But these two had magic together. I don't care what yeah, anyone they, says. They definitely did. Now, uh, moving on, uh, going on to WrestleMania 9, uh, Razor Ramon made his first WrestleMania day uh, appearance in a, a match against Bob Backlund where he rolled them up in a small package and won. So... That's all I can say about that is Bob Blackman. Yeah, Bob Blackman. I don't, I don't know exactly what they were trying to do with him in the WWE. Yeah. I just really never seen that. I thought he was just a crazy guy. Uh, next. <laughs> yeah. So uh, on May 17th, 1993, uh, this was supposed to be an enhancement match with a young wrestler named The Kid. He, uh, uh, Scott Hall, or excuse me, Razor Ramon, was uh, upset. And, and, and uh, he got upset at and defeated by the one, two, three kid with uh, when, well, the kid at the time he did a moonsault and, and he pinned Razor Ramon, and that was crazy right there for to see an enhancement talent or a jobber beat a main star like that. And and it's crazy because that whole crowd went nuts as well. That 
uh, one, two, three kid or the kid at the time got a big ass pop. And what got me, uh, what actually got me was the reaction of Razor Ramon. He was like, no, no. Like he's trying to sit there. He goes to uh, Macho Man and uh, Vince McMahon who are in the crowd and stuff like that doing announcement. He's going up to them and hustling them like, oh, this didn't happen. I want a rematch and stuff. And, <laughs> and this feud actually continued for a little bit. You know, you know, Razor Ramon was trying to get another match. One, two, three. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not doing it. And then he yeah, offered money. He offered 20000 and the kid winded up uh, taking it and running out the back. Yep, exactly. And, you know, that, that actually helped uh, the one, two, three kid loan all that X-Pac and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, when he uh, hit that moonsault, man, did you see his knee hit him right in the face when he did that? that was, that's what made it look so good. Exactly. It just looked so sloppy but yet so believable that you thought it was real. And then as uh, soon as he hit the one, two, three, he was gone. He was out of the ring. He was ready out into the building for the time that ref hit three, man. So check this out. Uh, uh, Razor Moon offered him twenty thousand dollars for the rematch, so the, or, or ten thousand uh, dollars, and the kid accepted it. So the spot was supposed to be the kid did the moonsault from the outside, landed on Razor Moon. He would grab the money and run out the way, and run out the arena. Now what happened was the kid <laughs> climbed up the, the 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 ropes for the for the spot, slipped off and landed on his face, knocked himself out. Oh, it was so bad, and the. The thing is, like, I, I, I just, I, what did, like, his feet just weren't. Yeah, he just, right? it just, he it just, just, he slipped off and he just landed face first. And, and, he, and it, looked, it looked horrible, man. He, it was bad. He had a concussion and that, like, Razor Moon has to stall so he could get his bearings enough to get up and, and, and run out the, like, for the kids to get it together and run, run out. It was pretty, pretty bad. But, you know, they were such professionals, you didn't realize it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but even when the camera like pulled to him when he got up, you can definitely see he was on Dream Street there, man. Yeah. So you know they they flew they feuded throughout the spring of nineteen ninety three, you know. But this right here caused a slow, a uh, baby face turn for Razor Ramon, where people started loving him more and more, you know. <laughs> well, when you when you have people like me who just loved him anyway because he was a great bad guy, hell. All right, so we're gonna move on to October fourth of nineteen ninety three. On an episode of Raw, there was a 20-man battle royal to determine a new Intercontinental Champion. Um, the Intercontinental Championship was vacated after Shawn Michaels uh, was suspended in kayfabe for failure to show up to shows. In reality, he failed the drug test, so he was suspended for that. Yeah, and which is crazy because a lot of people don't know, like... Shawn Michaels was a, a, a big drama queen. Everyone knows he was a big drama queen. That's no surprise. But the guy never liked to lose the title, ever. Ever. And anytime he had a title, he either A, vacated, lost his smile, or just completely disappeared <laughs> from wrestling. That's what... And then he would come back, and then he would do it all over again. Yep. Now, uh, so for that battle royal, the, the, it was the, the, uh, it'll be a 20-man battle royal, and then the final two competitors, it would stop. The, the battle royal would stop. That the very next week, um, those two final, the final two competitors will wrestle for the Intercontinental Championship. I didn't like that idea. I think it should have just ended it like that. But you know, maybe they're just trying. Yeah, they're just trying to get some numbers, build up something, I yeah. guess. But I didn't really like that either. I thought they should have just gave the winner the title. Yeah. So uh, the the final two was uh, Razor Ramon and Rick Martel, um, and they both and. In AWA, they both battled for the AWA championship. Now, here they go in WWF at the time, and they're both battling for the Intercontinental Championship. 
So yeah. shortly after that, after uh, Razor Bone won his first uh, Intercontinental Championship, Shawn Michaels returned and he had his own version of the Intercontinental Championship, claiming he was the real champion, doing to him never losing it. Uh, do you remember this? Hey. Yes, I remember this. Uh, the whole build up to this was great uh, because uh, Shawn Michaels came in, hit him with the title, and then first you get that first image of Razor Ramon just holding those titles, you know? And then you're like, oh, I can't wait for this match. And they were like, oh, it's going to be in a ladder match. Yeah. And everybody was like, oh, shit. Like, this would be like one of the first times you would actually see a ladder match in the WW, uh, WWF at the time. Yeah. Uh, and on the build up, so- on the, sorry about this, on the build up of this. Uh, Scott, uh, Shawn Michaels attacked Scott Hall on an episode of Monday Night Raw and gave him Shawn Michaels gave Scott Hall two razor's edges on, on the outside, which is I found that pretty impressive that Shawn Michaels could get Razor Ramon up for a razor's edge. Yeah, especially as big as Razor was, and at this point in time, uh, Shawn Michaels was never even that big to begin with. Yeah, uh, but for him to be able to pick him up like that was, yeah, you are correct. That is fucking impressive. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, yeah. So that's what the match was made. Um. Both titles on the line at, at the quote-unquote first ladder match, but we all know, as we discussed in the Montreal Screw Job, available in the PT Wrestling with PTSD archives. Boom! Uh, that the very first match uh, of of a ladder match was with between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, but that uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels match had nothing to do with this uh, ladder match. March twentieth, nineteen ninety four, at WrestleMania ten, it was. Heralded as the greatest ladder match ever. Now, when I say ladder match, I'm not talking about TLC matches with ladders and chairs and tables. I'm just talking about two different things. Yeah, two different things. Strictly a ladder match. You'll find no better ladder match than uh, Racer, Ramon, and Shawn Michaels. And personally, this is honestly probably even still up there as a lot of people's favorite ladder matches. I know it's up there with mine because this had everything. You had to build up. Like, Sean never lost the title. Razor had it. Sean wants the title back. You have two titles now, and they're both hanging above the ring. And you. And the thing is, there's a lot of things that happen in this match, but there's only two particular things. First, you remember Shawn Michaels jumping, up, jumping off that ladder. Yep. Yes, beautifully, right on top of Razor. But a lot of people don't remember the winner of this match because of that picture alone. Yeah. Razor's actually the one who won the match. Yeah. And... My favorite moment from this match was when he was just on top of that ladder holding both of those titles. I felt like that's an iconic picture. But again, a lot of people don't remember this just because of what they were doing was just so fantastic. Yeah, uh, how it ended, uh, Shawn Michaels was climbing the, the, the ladder and Razor knocked it over where Shawn uh, straddled the top rope and then his foot got caught in the rope. It got wrapped around and he was trapped mm-hmm. in the rope and Razor made the climb, got it. Crowd went crazy. WrestleMania 10 was a great WrestleMania because after that match was Bret Hart beating Yokozuna, and uh, everybody went crazy for that match too. And that, 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 I feel like that whole pay per view was very great. I mean, especially just having that match alone, that's just a five star right there. And then the next match alone, uh, with uh, Sean and Yoko, like you said, uh, another big guy who can really go Yoko, man. I, I was a big fan of his. Uh, but this whole uh, this whole pay per view was great. I I enjoyed it, especially as being a, a young kid. And these are one of those days where it was a pay per view, and pay per views are always on Sunday, yep. no matter what. Yep. And I remember the next day, uh, I had school, you know, and then my parents were like, had that legal cable box. They're like, listen, this is the last match, and it's time for go to bed. This was the only match I cared. As big as a Bret Hart fan, I was. I didn't really care about him fighting Yoko because I really I felt like I knew the outcome. Right. I was just ready for this ladder match to see what it had 
what they can offer. And dude, I'm glad I went to bed after that night because I was so excited. I, I swear to God, I probably maybe dreamed about that match for the next couple of days. That's as good as it was. Yeah, they did not disappoint. Now, um, on April 30th, about a month later, on an episode of Superstars, um, with this interference from Shawn Michaels, Big Daddy Cole Diesel defeated Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental Championship. So, you know. That, yeah, you know, uh, flip, flip-flopping with the titles. And I was okay with that yeah. because you had two of the biggest stars doing it yeah. for you, know? So, um, on uh, uh, Jan- uh, excuse me, June 19th of 1994, Razor Ramon made it to the finals of the King of, King of the Ring tournament. And uh, it was him versus Owen Hart. Which was another another spectacular match with one of the Hart brothers. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like anytime he was in the in the in the ring with any of the Hart brothers, it was a classic between them or just a great match altogether. And with this match, uh, I I, I felt like uh, I I chose this and and told you to watch it just for the fact that it was a great match, a great solid match. They went back and forth. You know, you had the Anvil uh, finally come in and help Owen, and I guess that made them you know a tag team. Uh, because uh, that's pretty much they did the 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 their the heart attack move, yeah. which I think is a great looking move. Uh, and then unfortunately you had Razor had to take the L. But again, this was uh one of those matches where they both shine. Uh, right. I personally would have loved to see him win the King of the Ring because especially he since he went to well, I mean he's been in the King of the Ring for a while now, but he was just never able to win it. Right. So uh, and and that not only that that uh catapulted on heart, so. Yes, it did. And after this match, this is what actually started the whole rivalry between him and Brett. Don't get me wrong. Like, things were going back and forth with him. But this took it to the next level yeah. because this is what led up to the, the cage match between both brothers. And that match, whoo, yeah. that is, like, maybe top five favorite matches ever watched. Yeah, that was that was it right there. Um, August 29th, 1994, at that SummerSlam you were just talking about, Razor Moan with NFL Hall of Famer Walter Payton in his corner face, Big Daddy Cole Diesel, and Shawn Michaels was in Diesel's corner, and that was for the Inter- Intercontinental Championship. Now, uh, Razor Moan beat Diesel when uh, Shawn Michaels accidentally super kicked uh, Diesel, and and Razor Moan got the got the pin. And that's what pretty much finished the whole thing. That whole little rivalry right there. And didn't that put Shawn Michaels versus Evil in the, the next five after that, didn't it? Well, no, no. Like, it was uh, leading up to it. That's what started. That's what was causing their breakup. Their, their breakup okay. was at the, the 1994 Survivor Series. Yeah, I remember that perfectly because uh, that was, like, the whole meltdown and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, but, again, this was another great match. And, again, I, I have no problem with being titles being flip-flop like this, especially if it's going to be between two great men who deserve both titles because back then – you, you you see these two? They were in your mid card, just ridiculous. Can you imagine what the uh you know just the heavyweight title scene would be like? The 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 where the all the champions are like. Don't get me wrong, you have these guys, but they're fighting for the intercontinental title, yeah. which means at that point in time that that was your stepping stone. That's where you wanted to be because you know that's going to take you to the next level to put you into the like the world heavyweight title season. Yeah, but Diesel held the inter- intercontinental championship for a while. He held it from April to August. You know, that's that's yeah. that's a good that's a good little term right there. He did. He held it for a little while and which uh, which hurts me because I say this now throughout uh, Raz- uh Razor's whole career in the WWF. Unfortunately, he's never held the world title. And I will always say Razor Ramon is one of those guys which 
it's sad to see that he never won the title. You know, one hundred percent. He's one of the he was one of the greatest champions who was never the champion. Uh, one of the greatest wrestlers who was never champion, along with Ted DiBiase, another one phenomenal wrestler was never the W was never any world champion. You know, Mister Perfect. Yeah, yeah. There you go. The list goes on. Like they always had the Intercontinental title, they always had that mid title tag team titles, but they never won the big one, which it was a disappointment in my eyes because we're going to talk about this in the future. It never happened in WCW either. Yeah. Now, uh, at the 1995 Royal Rumble, Razor Ramon faced off against Jeff Jarrett. Now, for those who don't know, that's J E double F, J A double R, E double T. That's Jeff Jarrett. Slap nuts, baby. <laughs> and you, well, I, I, which don't get me wrong, a lot of people don't like Jeff Jarrett. I, I don't mind him. I, I thought he was, I, I thought he was great. I, 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 I love this character, the, 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 the country music singing Jeff Jarrett. That was my favorite Jeff Jarrett. Oh, oh I love that. I, I love that one. And I love when he went into the whole slap nuts. Thing. Yeah. I love that whole <laughs> thing. I thought he was just a heel. Jeff Jarrett was a heel that nobody liked. And, that was just him. Yeah. So he was playing himself. Yeah. So uh, Razor Ramon lost this uh, match to Jeff Jarrett uh, from outside interference from the roadie. Um, the roadie would go on to be the road dog, Jesse James, for those who didn't know. And if you didn't yep. know, your ass better call, call somebody. somebody. <laughs> but have you noticed that it's becoming a reoccurring theme now? Every time Razor Ramon lost his title, it was due to outside interference. All the time, and uh, I honestly, when what what has he ever been clean like no. clean like pin cleanly? I no. just, I've never seen a match. No, now um, this was at a house show on May nineteenth in nineteen ninety five. Razor Ramon defeated Jeff Jarrett for the Intercontinental Championship back, uh, making him the first uh first time ever somebody held the IC title three times. Now, just uh two days afterwards, excuse me, three days afterwards, um. Razor Ramon was actually injured in that that letter match that Jeff Jarrett won back the title at a house show. So injuries, man, especially with something like this, especially when he was like on a a little bit of a run. Don't get me wrong, it was it was a significant injury, but I mean he would come back for it, but he would miss a baby like a month or so. Yeah. So now uh, he's he came back and when he was in better sh- shape, uh, August twenty seventh, nineteen ninety five at at SummerSlam. In a rematch from WrestleMania 10, Shawn Michaels faced Razor Ramon in a ladder match. But this time, uh, Razor lost the match. What were your thoughts on that match? This match was interesting because now the roles were definitely reversed, you know? Uh, Shawn Michaels was the good guy. Razor Ramon was the bad guy. And, you know, it it, it was magic again. I don't like it. We, we both agreed that we don't think this was as better, uh, as good as the first one. And I, I would say that, take the third grade, that it wasn't as good as the first one. Even though Shawn Michaels was able to do a lot more things because he was a baby face. Uh, great match, just not as good as the first one in my eyes. Hey, yo, he's always the bad guy. Yep, he's always the bad guy. This is true, this is true. But healer face, fractural, maybe it was, you know, what I mean. <laughs> All right, so um, now at, at the, the pay-per-view um, in your house, number four, Razor Ramon defeated Dean Douglas for the IC title and became a record-setting four-time Intercontinental Championship. Uh, excuse me, four-time Intercontinental Champion. Now, Dean Douglas, good. I was going to say, and, and this was actually a big thing because, again, you said that no one has ever done this, and to be the first to do it is a major honor. Also, 
can we talk about uh, I honestly uh, always forget about this in your house pay for use. I always thought they were great. Uh, I felt I like those it. are one of uh, yes, I always thought it was one of the most underrated uh, little pay per views that they used to have. But I definitely enjoyed any type of uh, in your house that they showed, especially like when they brought in like at the beginning. They showed that little vignette at the beginning of what's going on. There's always yeah. the house getting trashed or yeah. halfway on fire at the end. It was great. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, it's funny. I still remember the the theme music for them. We're in your house. We're in your house tonight. We're in your house. <laughs> <laughs> See, and it's catchy. And the thing is, I, I feel like I'm glad that we're talking about this because I forget this is one of those gems that are just completely erased from wrestling yeah. history. Like nobody but remembers. Yeah. So um, now earlier in that night. Of in your house for Shawn Michaels was supposed to uh, defend the Intercontinental Championship against Dean Douglas, but what happened was um, Shawn Michaels got beat up by four Marines, six Marines, eight Marines, nine Marines, whatever the story is at the time. So he was beaten bad and he caught a concussion. So Shawn Michaels, as you said, forfeited the title to Dean Douglas. Mm-hmm. Again, like again, he Shawn Michaels wasn't the type of person who. Dropped the titles. This was another way that he had to get rid of it. Again, that whole lost your smile thing, dropped the title. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, I mean, he was an asshole back then. <laughs> and uh, and the people didn't appreciate it. And to this day, he knows he was an asshole. And uh, him, Shawn Michaels going through the whole Christian way and stuff like that. It's great for him. Uh, but yeah, for something like this to happen, especially when you have the title. And I, I honestly, maybe I honestly wanted to see another match between them, uh, especially for the title as well. Yeah, so um, after that that uh that title win, Razor Bone held it to the 1996 Royal Rumble, and uh, at the 1996 Royal Rumble, he faced Goldust, and again, due to outside interference from a newly turned heel one two three kid, Razor Bone lost the title. Uh, I feel like it's the only way you can beat Razor outside interference, man. It's some type of interference, and <laughs> which. I loved about this little feud that he had with uh, Goldust for these titles uh, when, <laughs> you know, Racer Ramon's the machismo guy. He's the bad guy. And then you got the bizarre one in Goldust yeah. who's yeah. touching himself and blowing Razor kisses. And Razor's like, yo, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know? <laughs> a lot of homophobic overtones in that. Yes, a lot. And you know what? I, I feel like it was great uh, because they definitely watered down his, his character. But this guy, like, he was something different, you know? Yeah. And I, I could definitely appreciate, you know, him being able to do a character like that, Goldust, and be able to just play it so well, you know? <laughs> yeah. So there's supposed to be a rematch at uh, WrestleMania 11 between Razor Ramon and Goldust. But uh, after this match itself, um, leading up to WrestleMania, Razor Ramon was suspended for six weeks due to a failed drug test. So, what could have been? Yeah, and you know, uh, what could have been, but as of right now, we will never know because uh, this would be something that in the future would affect uh, Hall uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And and it's sad that it, it just evolved from here. So, yes. uh, again, we're going to be talking about it. It's sad. And sometimes when even when I'm just watching certain things, especially they had a documentary about this, it truly put a tear in my eyes. But again, we're going to be talking about this yeah. later on in the episode. Yeah. Was it a tear in your eye like when Ric Flair won the 1992 Royal Rumble and he said, with the tear in my eye, this is the greatest night of my life? No? No, Ric Flair? No. <laughs> never. Ever. 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 Also, talk, talking about Ric Flair, we're going to get this, get this right here. The only thing 
I think that I can actually appreciate that Ric Flair did, and I honestly thought it was great, was when he went to the nut house. <laughs> yeah. You remember that? And he uh, was I, in there, woo, yeah. in his underwear, the little rope. That, I, that popped up on the TV. I was watching that with my wife, and she could not stop laughing as much as I could. And I was like, see, if Ric Flair would do some crazy shit like this all the time, maybe I appreciate him. Yeah. But no, no. <laughs> Let's move back back to Scott Hall or <laughs> Racer Rubble. All right, so May 19th, 1996, at Razor Ramon's last Madison Square Garden appearance, along with Diesel, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels, they took part in the infamous curtain call. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, this is something that was uh, – a lot of people said this was – well, how can I say it? That they're messing up the business, exposing yeah. the business, because this is something that you've never seen because – Everybody, I mean, at this point in time, I didn't know, like, if a lot of people knew wrestling was fake. People had their ideas, you know, you know, people are 50-50 on it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so when something like this happened, when you have two good guys and two bad guys embracing in the ring, it broke kayfabe. Yeah. And the thing that this happened, it was at a house show. Again, it's just a bunch of friends just hugging, you know, saying their, the goodbyes and stuff like that. Someone actually brought a camera into yep. it and recorded it. It got out, and this made wrestling looked bad at the time yep. and and what came out of this is i mean Shawn michaels was a champion nothing happened to him you had razor ramon and diesel going to wcw the only person who was punished for this was triple h yep and he was punished he was supposed he was slated to win the 1996 uh king of the ring but because of that he uh he he wasn't able to win it but thankfully that happened because if that didn't happen, we would have never gotten Stone Cold Steve Austin winning hey. the 1996 King of the Ring. Exactly. And we would have never got that Austin 316. I just whooped your ass speech yeah. and take the snake. And, you know, uh, imagine. Imagine if this never happened, how that would have went down. Like, where was uh, uh, Stone Cold, one of the best uh, ever to do it? Where would he be? You know? Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then after this uh, Steve, uh, excuse me, Razor Moon had a, uh, a match where he jobbed to Vader at, uh, in your house, and after that, he left the WWF. Now we're gonna throw it down to prime time in the newsroom, and he's gonna tell you some stats on Razor Moon's uh, WWF time. Well, thank you, Sonny D. Uh, here we are with some stats, especially from the WWF of uh, Razor Ramon. Uh, it was great what type of career he had. Uh, let's see. We're going to go up for the statistics of how many times he won at the WWF. He won 75% of his matches while in the WWF, and he only lost around 21% of the time, and anything else was pretty much a draw. So okay. he was a big major factor in the WWF, especially with his time being there with his win-loss record. But uh, as much as he won in the WWF, he would go and – Double that in WCW. Uh, we're actually going to talk about that later because it jumped up from like 74% of winning and that dropped up to 80% of the time he won there. Yeah, so we're, we're gonna, we'll talk about those stats once we get there to the WCW part, okay? Yes, sir. So, uh, more at 11. Yep, back to you. <laughs> All right, so on May 27th, 1996, on an episode of uh, Monday Nitro, who was perceived to be Razor Ramon came out throughout the crowd in street clothes, interrupted a match, and gave a landmark promo saying he's going to war with the WCW. 
Waller completely maul his opponent, Steve Dahl. Well, you know, Steve, Steve Dahl was trying to get an offensive going. Wait a minute. But, but what the hell but is going what? on here? But the maul, well, he just got reversed right there. The Mauler runs him down. What are you talking about? Look, look here. Well, What's what the hell? Wait a minute. Somebody give me a mic. I have no idea. Hey. Wait a minute. I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm saying. It's, you people. What's with him? You know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Are we going to get security here? Where? is billionaire Ted. Where is the nacho man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me, I go wherever I want, whenever I want. And where, oh where, is Scheme Gene. Cause I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll look-alike, when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him, for billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. Wow. You know, that is a, a great promo, not just because of what he was saying. It was just nobody knew what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with something like this, uh, you just have Razor just come through the crowd, which was something big at the time because a lot of wrestlers never did that, was come out the crowd outside of like really sting and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so he came out the crowd. He was wearing regular street clothes, jeans and a jean jacket, boot, black boots, came down. And he got on the mic and he did it during a wrestling match. Yeah. You know, when stuff was already getting, he just gets in there and just starts talking. And what he's saying is great and everything, but what was afterwards is like, we're going to war. Who's going to war? Is this like yeah. a WCW versus WWF thing? Because again, the internet wasn't big, big back then, you know? Uh, a lot of people didn't know that. Razor Ramon is no longer with the WWF or uh, Kevin Nash is no longer with the WWF. So it was like, oh, shit, this is creating a lot of buzz. And I'm not going to lie, uh, this was a point of time where you're going back and forth on the channels. Uh, you know, you're watching WWF and then you quickly got to zoom over to WCW to see exactly what's happening. This, I mean, I forget who was uh, wrestling at this point in time. So It I was, was watching- uh, the Mauler against somebody else. Yeah, some smaller was Mike was Mike mean Mike Enos, formerly uh Blake Beverly. So yeah, you had like these two people where I mean honestly, you had the like two people that probably no one could really care about on a random um WCW episode, you know. And you have him come on, I quickly flipped over. 
I didn't care well, what, whatever what, was happening on that time of WWF. I flipped over. Well, actually, uh, what happened was with this. Eric Bischoff was a genius for this. He knew when Raw would go on commercials, so he waited to do this right when Raw went on commercials. So when you flipped over to WCW, is when you saw this, and it was perfectly done. I remember it perfectly. Raw was going on commercial. I flipped it over, and all you saw was I was with my cousin John watching it, and you just see Razor Ramon coming down the the steps. And I give credit to Eric Bischoff for that because that was beautiful right there. Genius, and he had a lot of great ideas and a lot of bad ideas. These are one of the the best ideas, and they somewhat capitalized on it little by little, uh, but uh, it was so great to see that because I'm not going to lie, anytime I put that out, it's one of the things that give me goosebumps because yeah. I, I'm not going to lie, this is pretty much what started to win for WCWs in the ratings. These guys coming in, you know, the, the, the formation of a group called the NWO. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> once that started, it was a whole nother level. But this is what started right here. And this is what projected WCW into a different atmosphere from WWE just because of this issue, this thing right here, I think, in my eyes, honestly. See, now the whole point of that, that, that angle that he's cutting or what he was doing, the promo was to mirror the real life Ford that WWF and WCW were going through at the time. So, um, they made it seem like that was WWF wrestlers coming over trying to start a war with WCW. Yeah, and it, it, it totally worked in WCW, especially yeah. the way they set this up. It was great. You know, later, like a couple weeks later, Kevin Ash came out, and they they were challenging uh, WCW uh, best to a three man uh, match, uh, a six man tag, I should say. Yep. Um, and what 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 really got me was like anytime they got on the mic, uh, uh, Scott Hall would be like, "Where's the Nacho Man? Yeah, Where's nacho Scheme Gene? I got a scoop for you." <laughs> <laughs> so um, that went on to uh, July seventh, nineteen ninety six, at WCW's Bash at the Beach, top to bottom, one of the greatest pay per views ever that WCW had. Yes, so, uh, they they really did, and. What got me uh, hyped about this was they all they really did was talk about the main event. Like, yeah. who who's the other guy? Who's helping these outsiders, you know? Yep. So, um, at, at, at uh, the, the uh, Batch at the Beach, it was the outsiders and their mystery partner against WCW's best with Sting, Lex Luger, and Macho Man in a match. You know what, though? I got to be honest with you. I don't. I, I never considered Macho Man to be one of WCW's best. That could have been somebody else, honestly. Because uh, this was fresh from him leaving the WWF, you know. Yeah, um, I would agree. Uh, I felt like Macho did a whole lot of uh, greatness in WWF, yeah. uh, and even not just even wrestling. He was a great announcer. Yeah, you know, he he did that. He did a lot because he was injured and had to do that for a while. Came back to wrestling. But when he went to WCW, I wouldn't say he was like one of their bigger men. Yeah. Uh, he was a name that they had there that was a big name known, but I, I felt like they never really used him. But not only that, when you think of Macho Man, you think of WWF. Yeah, honestly, that's what I think about. And other than WWF, I think about him doing his Slim Jim. Exactly. But uh, other than that, yeah. And that part know, could have uh, been somebody else. It could have been, uh, I don't know, uh, Arn Anderson, you know, Ric Flair, somebody who was, was born, bred, uh, WCW, you know? Yeah, pure WW, you know, WCW. I don't know. We could definitely put a lot yeah. more people, but um, I mean, hell, even, I mean, they had Luger, yeah. there, but I mean, he was always getting his ass over yeah. a macho man. So yeah. I don't know. We'd really have to sit back and think about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so that match, it was history making when Hulk Hogan turned out to be the third, the third uh, partner, which was perfect for them. 
Now there was a lot of that Bobby Bra- Bobby the Brain Heaton kind of spoiled the the ending to this on that when when Hulk Hogan was making his way out to the ring, Bobby the Brain Heaton said it. Whose side is he on? And Eric Bischoff was pissed off that he said that because he he freestyled that, and uh, that it kind of gave away the ending right there by him saying that. Uh, honestly, I thought I, I would have never even thought about that because so much is yeah. going in the ring, you know. And he, uh, what what do you think would have happened if they never casted Hogan for what happens if Hogan never wanted to? Do okay, that, so the, you, know? you know who the backup guy was? Sting. Sting. Exactly. Sting. Yep. I, I, I honestly, can you imagine Sting and Hogan's role? Yeah, I think it would have been way better. Way better in my eyes because, you know, fuck Hogan. But um, <laughs> I, I honestly think uh, it would have been a, a great thing because who was WCW? Yeah, Sting. 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 Yeah. And you know what? I mean, uh, I, I mean I'm mean, i glad they put Hogan in because that somewhat changed his character. I don't think they would have been the same yeah. if Sting was there. But I, I rolled out with the NWO. Why? Because of two founding fathers. Granted, Hogan was there, but guess what? Razor Ramon and Kevin Nash made it cool to be a yeah. Part of well, not only that, that uh, like Hogan reinvented himself. You can't. I know you're against Hogan, but you can't say you weren't a fan of the Holly. You were not a fan of oh. Hollywood Hogan, man. Oh, that was. I feel like that. Honestly, that's the best. Yeah, thing. Was he was Hogan. amazing. I, oh, don't get me wrong. Great, one of the greatest heel runs he ever had, and stuff like that. I just, I'm not a big fan of the whole politics that right. the guy did. You know. That's that. There's two different things from the politics and for what the, he did in the ring. I mean, it was great. I just can't stand what he yeah. did to like hold people down. Yeah, uh, this that match right there had so many people going crazy, and we spoke about this one time that a fan actually went in the ring <laughs> and tried to attack them, and he got knocked the fuck out by Kevin Nash, <laughs> and then Scott Hall came and started stomping on his head like he was a cockroach, bro. <laughs> stomped him out like it, it was great man uh I, I just don't i want to understand what this guy was thinking again why are you going to charge the ring with three men who are bigger than seven foot some about 200 and some pounds what the yeah. hell are you going to do with your fat yeah. ass you're going to roll in the ring and fall exactly he was like upset too because they showed him before he wrote it he was like screaming oh yeah he was screaming from the outside they were like oh come in try to roll his ass and got knocked down and they got stomped and then all you see is them uh like dragging his unconscious body outside the ring (laughs) great and and you know what i I felt like that's the type of reaction they were going to and you know what they fucking got it that night because everybody was shocked that it was hogan not one person in that whole building could say i knew it was going to be hogan because no one did i don't care what yeah they're throwing trash in the ring and everything yeah, yeah, they're throwing trash, beer, drinks. It was great. I think at one point in time, didn't like Nash or Hall catch it? Yeah, he smacked it out the way. Uh, uh, Kevin, yeah, Nash, Kevin Nash smacked it. At the yeah. Right out of the air. Boom. <laughs> it was great. And that's the type of your action that you want from wrestling because, oh, yeah. again, this is what escalated WCW to a next level with this whole outsider uh, Hogan thing. Who Who's the, the next member? And Honestly, that that made me a fan of WCW. That's what made me want to tune in. Just because these two guys, uh, well, just the NWO in general, but these two guys made me want to watch it because of what they were doing, trying to take over the WCW. Yep. And so this Bash of the Bleach was the was the birthplace of the. So now. Uh... After this, the NWO ran roughshod over WCW through the upcoming months. Uh, upcoming months, 
They beat up everybody. They won basically all their matches. Uh, October 27th, 1996, at a Hollywood ha- ha- uh, Halloween Havoc, the Outsiders defeated Harlem Heat for their very first WCW World Tag Team Championship. So, and you know, uh, just Harlem Heat having Booger T and Stevie Ray, and then you have you know the outside of the Hall and Nash. Uh, great match. I mean, uh, there's not much I can really say to it. I'm not going to say it was like a five star match, but it was a great match yep. to watch. Uh, especially which which was crazy because in WWF. Hall was no, I mean, Razor Ramon Scott Hall was known as a, a single wrestler. Right. You know, he'll have like a couple tag team matches here and there, but at WCW, man, he just did like a whole 360 and then he was in a lot of yeah. tag team matches, which I, I, I just never understood. But that was actually one of the sickest tag teams, Scott Hall and Kevin Ash. That was like one of the best. Oh, oh, yeah, the best. I they uh, you know, how many t shirts I got when they were younger because yeah. of the outside <laughs> t shirts when they ran the Wearing the little uh, bandanas on the backwards, head. I felt like they're, they're, yeah, backwards. I thought they're, they're those shirts were great. Anything that was involved with you know Scott Hall, I was digging it. Uh, but one thing I wish they would have uh, you know branched off was was him uh, wrestling a lot more. By right. Himself. So um, now NWO's first pay per view sold out, which actually took place on a Saturday instead of a Sunday. You know they're trying to do everything different. This. Yeah, the Steiners, the Steiner brothers defeated the Outsiders for the World Tag Team title. Um, we talked about this in the Steiner brothers uh, episode of Wrestling with PTSD in the archives. Boom. All right, so two days later on Nitro, Eric Bischoff ordered the Steiner brothers to return the titles to Hall and Nash due to WCW referee Randy Anderson in the crowd at the night at, at that night coming in, in the ring at a. Uh, Making the, the the three count awarded the Steiners the, the title. Randy Anderson was not the scheduled referee, so he shouldn't have um, counted that. That's why Eric Bischoff said that he fired Randy Anderson and forced the Steiner brothers to give the Outsiders back their titles. What killed me about this night um, when they when Eric Bischoff told the Steiners to give it back to them, he looked at uh, Scott Hall, looked at uh, Rick Steiners, and he said, "I want your belt." That had me fucking dying right there. <laughs> See, and it is great little things like that that made Scott Hall slash Tracer Ramon the bad guy, yeah. you know? Just little remarks with that. Like like I did mention when he had the match with Bret Hart, he threw that toothpick at the yeah. little kid. Gold. It's just these little things that he would do, just like the little side gestures. Even when he was having, like, conversations on the mic and Kevin Nash or or Hogan were on the thing. He was always doing something with his fingers, or he's talking to the yeah. crowd, being you know, being a goofy dude. And it, I loved it. Everything that he was doing, I was loving. There were some times where he, where the NWO was run, doing commentary, and uh, somebody will say, "Yeah, yes, this guy's uh, up and cover." And Scott Hall say, "Yeah, he's a cover. He's a cover, all right." <laughs> and you know what really got me about him was like. When he did certain things like in the ring, like if someone was like, Oh, they're talking real serious stuff, so, like, Oh, I want you tonight, I'm gonna whoop your ass. He's like in their face, he's like, Ooh, <laughs> with his fingers, like, Come on, I'm not scared of you, like, bring it on, I'll still whoop your ass, you know. I'm not gonna lie, I, I think I used that in life so many times that <laughs> and, and where'd you get it from? You got it from the Machizo man himself, yeah. Razor Ramon slash us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that was that was great. So, um, the Outsiders held the WCW Tag Titles from February twenty fourth, nineteen ninety seven, 
to October 13th, 1997, where they lost the titles to the team of Lex Luger and the Giant. Now, random pairing, man. Random, random pairing. pairing. Now, in this match, the illegal man made the pin. So the next day on, on uh, uh, Nitro, again, Eric Bischoff ordered them return the, the titles to Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. And again, he looked at the Giant. He said, hey, I want your belt. And, and, and that's <laughs> And, and like the giant threw on the floor, he's like, "Man, you gonna? That's what you're gonna do?" Like, yo, it was just so great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, I, I remember you're, you're saying this again. I, I could just see his face, like, "Oh shit!" Like, "Oh, you know," yeah. just shocked and just again, a lot of things that Razor did. Don't get me wrong, was great in the ring, but again, just the little things he did were just so good. And again, this is one of those things. Like, I want your belt. Just being scared. Just made his character ten times better and more enjoyable, honestly. Yeah. So you know, through nineteen ninety eight, the Steiners and the Outsiders they flip flop the titles a bunch of times. Now this is where it's gonna get like sucky because we we all love Scott Hall, Razor Bone. You know, we all love him. March sixteenth, nineteen ninety eight, Scott Hall was sent home after appearing on Nitro heavily under the influence of alcohol and painkillers. Uh, after that, he was taken off TV and sent to rehab. You know. It's really sad. It, it is. And like we said, this this all started at the beginning of his career because, again, he was a bartender. And what did he do? Serve drinks, drink. That's all he really did when he was stressing about, you know, the murder that, you know, that he was going against. Drinking. And, again, this all kept following throughout the career because even as a pro wrestler, you can ask a lot of pro wrestlers back in the day, what were you doing on the road? Either you was drinking or you was doing drugs. So, yep. uh, again, this is something that it affected him throughout his career, and it finally caught up to one of the big things. And, again, it's one of those things that's very sad because you don't ever want to see someone that you look up to doing something like this, you know, just killing themselves. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, it, it, he tried to help himself into this story. So, go ahead. So, while he was going – while he was in rehab, the, the NWO was going through their split – their little splitting up angle. Um so, like, you had the NWO Hollywood and NWO Wolfpack. Mm-hmm. And I have to ask you, Sonny D, were you a Wolfpack or were you an original NWO? Is that even a question? I was Wolfpack, baby. A Wolfpack, baby? <laughs> just give me a too sweet right now. Air, Air too, too sweet. sweet. Too sweet. <laughs> you know, I was always, it was so much more cool that you just be a part of the Wolfpack, man. Their music, uh, their look. I honestly, red is my favorite color, so it just went so well together. Side note, when I was in the Army and in basic training, we were the Wolfpack. That was the name of our battery, so that was actually pretty fucking cool. <laughs> that is fucking awesome, man, the fucking yeah. Wolfpack. You know, shout out to everyone in the Wolfpack, man. Uh, that, yeah. that just awesome, I, 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 I got I got a picture of me. It's like uh, somebody painted it. It's like the Wu-Tang W, but inside of it, it says Wolfpack. I, I got to find that picture. I'll post it on the page. So, yeah. Please do. Like, that would be great to see, man. Uh, uh, and I wish uh, – I know at one point in time I had an original shirt here from the NWO, the black and red. Like, I have two right. I have one that they just released, and I have the original one. Oh, man, it was so great. There was nothing better than having that T-shirt because, again, WCW was big. But it was all with side you were on, and I always had the Wolfpack. I was always representing that, man. Yep. So, at 1998 Slamboree, it was Hall and Nash against uh, the Giant and Sting for the World Tag Team titles that the NWO had. Now, in this match, 
Scott Hall turned on Kevin Nash and he joined NWO Hollywood. Uh, which, why? Why? That, <laughs> why? that hurt. I, I just, I, I did because Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were always together. And from what I heard, the only reason why this happened was because of fucking Hulk Hogan. Because he didn't want the uh the wolf pack to be too much more cooler than what his group was because so that's why they put Scott Hall in there. Even Scott Hall was like, why? Like it don't even make no sense. But like the cool factor was Scott Hall, because who else was on NW Hollywood? Horace Hogan, Stevie Ray, Virgil, you know, like come on. <laughs> the the BT of yeah. the NWO, that's exactly what they were. And uh it just sucked because I, I don't know, man. It just uh, Kevin Nash and Scott and uh, you know Scott Hall together. They were the two coolest dudes to have together, yeah. you know. And the things that they were doing that you knew that they were best yep. friends. And just like the shit they used to do backstage, like the little the little meetings they did to have, always just joking around or just beating somebody's ass together. It was the greatest shit. I just I don't know. I just felt like he was out of place when he they took him away and put him to that other other NWO. I just didn't think he. Yeah. Fit. So um. This led to a match between Scott Hall and Kevin Nash at the 1998 Halloween Havoc. So Nash, Jack, in this match, Nash jackknifed Scott Hall three times and then left them la- laying down in the ring and, and Nash just left. He uh, he just uh, left Scott Hall like that, I guess, just to prove a point or whatever. What Was this the point in time where they had... Scott Hall doing that whole drinking gimmick. Oh uh, yeah, this was this is this is the time that was that they were, yeah, that he he threw up on Eric Bischoff on a nitro. Yeah, you know what? I want to say this right here, right now. Fuck you, WWE. That was for this yeah. angle. Fuck you for this angle. As a as a fan, as just a regular person who like just cares about someone. Yeah. Fuck you, man. Like how? Why? Why would you use someone's like AK demon? Yeah. Something that you know that he's going through backstage. Why would you put that with the character, you know? And this is not the first time something like this happened because WWF did it with Hawk. And the thing is, I fuck yeah. you. Right? Fuck you for doing something so like that. So now, uh, here at Wrestling with PTSD, we say light one up if you're relaxing. Um, crack one open if you're not driving. We're about enjoying responsibly. Now, we, we're aware that people can't enjoy responsibly and they take it to the excess extreme. extreme so like you know when somebody has a problem controlling themselves and they they go from it being a recreation to a necessity for you to exploit that and make it worse that, that's just in bad taste all around and and to put it on tv no less. just for money and yeah exactly for money and the thing is you can see when uh because from what i from what i heard even scott hall said it most of the time where he said that he was a drinking character on TV like this. He wasn't even yeah, drinking. drinking. All his drinks were like iced tea. <laughs> yeah, they were all iced tea. I just don't understand it. Why would you say because he was going through rehab, you going all this? Why would you put this on his character? Which was odd to me because why do I want to see someone act like a drunk fool inside the yeah. restaurant ring? Don't get me wrong. It was funny a little bit that he would go out, take a sip from the crowd, you know, doing the same thing that Heyman Page is doing now, but. Fuck you, man. He had a fucking, you know, he had this type of issue. Why would you yeah. keep on pressing, especially at work? Work should be something of a getaway, not something that should put more pressure on you, especially with a dumbass gimmick like yeah, that. Yeah, so. Oh, look, look at me over here getting hyped about it. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, r- r- rail it in, uh, uh, prime time, rail it in. <laughs> usa, Usa, grab the ears. You know, breathe. <laughs> oh. So, um, after this, uh, 
around this time, Scott Hall was referring to himself as the lone wolf because he wasn't that one Hollywood, but you know, so um, he was at the center of a of a internal power struggle with NWO Hollywood. Now, as Star came nineteen ninety eight in a match between Kevin Nash and the undefeated Goldberg for the WCW World Title, uh, Scott Hall disguised himself as a security guard and tased. It tased Goldberg, leading to Nash, Jack Knife, and Goldberg winning the title, and, and then Goldberg's 173 win streak. <laughs> what oh man, these are one of those things where you're like, "What the hell? This is how it yeah. ends." Uh, I felt like that whole Goldberg thing could have went a little bit longer. I felt like uh, a lot of wrestling politics in the background, you know, pretty much did this. Uh, I think he should have been pinned fair and square, something like that. Uh, but again, WCW's way of ending a match has to have some type of interference. In yeah, it. but you know, in my opinion, I, I think his win streak went on for too long. That's just my opinion. Oh uh, yeah, that 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 is true. They, uh, there are some times where I felt like it could have ended, but again, this was WCW's golden. Yeah, juice, but it, to me, it got stale. Like it, it got stale when when you're having a big time match and you know who's gonna win. It, it's it's stale. It it takes away yeah. from the you know the fantasy and stuff. I understand, uh, but again, this was WCW's golden goose, and there. I, I mean, I honestly didn't think anyone outside of probably Kevin Nash and Hogan was going to beat him anyways. Right. Uh, but uh, I guess that was one way to see. Do now, it. Uh, I believe a couple months prior, DDP and Goldberg had a match for the world title. If it's if it was anybody, it should have been DDP. Yeah. It could have been DDP because that's when DDP was finally getting his uh his whole heel thing going on at at that point in time. No, no, he, no. This is when he was the people's champ. When oh when, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. At, at one champ. point in time, like, now they were both the people's champ. You know. Yeah, I'm thinking about when he was after that. That what it did. The ready to rumble. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mixed up there, but yeah. I mean, even DDP could have ended it. I mean, he was a big crowd yeah. favorite. Have a face versus yeah. face. Uh, why not? You know, but WCW, you know, it had to be someone in the NWO had to be the ones to end the thing. And again, Kevin Nash was probably the biggest person there that could have done it. So I mean, I, I guess it makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So um, now at Super Bowl 1999, Scott Hall defeated Roddy Piper for the WCW United States Championship. So you know he's going back on, like he talked about. He, he this is where he's going on a single run right here. Mm-hmm. So and good. And I I, I was gonna say like. Uh, I felt like with something like this, uh, you know, he's winning these titles. I feel like they weren't very memorable. Yeah, no, because honestly, I didn't remember that. Me either. I didn't even know he actually won the uh, title off of uh, – I know he had the title. I didn't know it was off of Roddy. Piper. I didn't even know Piper had the title in 99. I didn't even know Piper was still wrestling with WCW in 99. He was here and there, here and there, you know? This is when WWE was just kicking ass with Steve Austin. Yeah, they were just bringing about anybody who could help them with the ratings. And honestly, I really completely forgot this was even a thing. Now, shortly after that match, Scott Hall suffered a foot injury and was forced to forfeit the title. So, uh, again, just he never drops the title clean. It's always because of something. So now uh, he came back and on November 8th, 1999, on an episode of Nitro in a four-way ladder match for the United States Championship. All main eventers, Scott Hall, Bret Hart, Goldberg, and Sid Vicious uh, wrestled each other for the United States for the United States Championship. You know, uh, that, that's just crazy to me. That's like you know, John Cena, Roman Reigns, 
wrestling for the Intercontinental Champion. You know, it's, it's just it's just it's just weird. You know, like, yeah, it definitely is like it's like something like in the Twilight. Yeah, moment. but Scott Hall uh, won that match and uh, he he held the title for the second time. Now, two weeks later at WCW Mayhem, he defeated Rick Steiner for the World Television Champion. So he was uh, Scotty Two Belts. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and it, 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 and it's great. I mean, again, not very rememberable, but it's great to see that he has some type of gold in WCW outside of tag yeah. team cutters, you know? But eight days later on an episode of Nitro, Scott Hall threw the, the, the television title in the trash. Thus vacating it, and I don't, I don't understand how you do their disrespect Disco Inferno's title like that. It's, it's, it's sickening. <laughs> the legend that is Disco Inferno. How dare you? Now he was soon stripped of the U.S. title due to another injury. Uh, again, there's something taking the title away from him, man. Yeah. Not a loss, just injuries yeah. or just interference. And this is going to be a reoccurring thing because when he came back from injury. Hall and Nash teamed up to face the tag team of Bret Hart and Goldberg for the World Tag Team Championships. Yep. Yeah. It, again, an awkward pairing, and uh, that, that led to a feud, I believe. But again, not very memorable. Yeah, so they won the WCW Tag Team title, making them a six-time championships, six-time champions. Now, Hall, a, a couple of days later, Hall got injured again, and the Outsiders had to vacate the, the tag titles. Man, for all that, I mean, Kevin Nash was such a big character and had creative control. Why did you just hold up yeah. rather than just kick everybody's ass uh, going a long run for a little bit until he came back? So, um, Super Brawl on February 20th, 2000, in a triple threat match for the WCW World Title, it was Scott Hall, Kev- uh, excuse me, Scott Hall, Jeff Jarrett, and Sid Vicious. Um, Scott Hall lost this match after Sid Vicious pinned them with the powerbomb, and this was the last appearance Scott Hall had in WCW. Now, we're going to send it back down to the newsroom with uh, Primetime, and he's going to give us Scott Hall's statistical run in WCW. Well, thank you again, uh, Sonny D. We're here at the newsroom, and we're going to go up to the, the statistics in uh, his WCW. And I just want to say I apologize for the statistic earlier today when I said that his winning percentage in WCW was 80%. I was wrong. That dramatically dropped from WWF from 74% or 75% because it's very close to 43% of losing. I mean, winning. His looting percentage jumped up from 21% to 48%. It's crazy how much losing he was doing in WCW. Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. Um, so, I mean, granted, a lot of them were due to, like, injuries and him having, like, vacating titles and stuff like that, but damn, a huge, yeah. huge. And, and the thing is, uh, I, I, I think he was, like, pretty much what founding fathers of helping WCW, if that really makes sense, you know? Yeah, because absolutely. Not all... Not only, I mean, he helped WCW skyrocket from the whole MW because I feel like without him going out there making that announcement, we're going to war, nobody would have cared. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And it's crazy to see a dramatic change from their win-loss record from a different company. And it's just like, wow, you know, thinking that he did all this stuff in WCW, I would have thought he would have won a lot more. Yeah, yeah. But 
That is WCW, and that's why they're no longer around today. That is correct. Well, that's here in the newsroom. Sonny D, back to you. Thanks. Thank you, Primetime. Uh, <laughs> so from 2000 to 2001, Scott Hall appeared in ECW and New Japan. Um, you know, not memorable with them. 2002. Mm. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I would say no, nothing from like TNA, New Japan. I know he was there. Oh, no, for like he, another couple, couple. Yeah, he didn't go to TNA yet. He, he did it from here. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. You uh, New Japan had a cup of coffee, nothing very yeah. memorable. Maybe like a couple matches here and there. He was still using the whole outsider gimmick, Scott Hall gimmick. So, I mean, that I guess that was the only saving grace thing from there, I guess. Yeah. So, at uh, 2002, uh, the NWO was reformed in WWE. And, um, you know, again, Scott Hall didn't last very long with the company at the time. His only notable match he had was at WrestleMania 18 in a match against Steve Austin. Where, where he – oh, well, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Hey, hey, say it. Say it. I'm going to say this right now. This man took the best stone cold <laughs> stunner ever and sold the living hell out of it. No one will tell me any different. There's only one person who can ever – Sell a Stone Cold Stunner like that, and it was The Rock. I will say it right now: Scott Hall is the best person to ever take a Stone Cold Stunner outside from. The I, I cannot agree with that. You took the words right out of my mouth. And uh, the way he saw that his whole body got stiff, and he just bounced right yeah. back. It was great. <laughs> it was perfect. And uh, honestly, um, uh, I wish this would have continued maybe a little bit more, even though they were all past their prime. And I wish they didn't break up the NW or. Scott Hall never really, you know, got into his ways with alcohol. I wish that would never happen because I felt like this could have ran a little bit more of a course in the WWF. Absolutely. Uh, uh, especially since, uh, I mean, right after the WrestleMania, like, didn't they all break up anyway? Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. Everybody went on their which, way. Yeah, which, uh, I mean, you have uh, uh, Hogan, who was always Hogan, which was really, really going nowhere. Scott Hall left, and then you had Kevin Nash, who has toilet paper uh, for legs. Yeah. Uh, for quads, anyways. Uh, but, man, I feel like there could have been so much more money or so much more stuff they could have did with the NWO and uh, WWE at the time. Yo, it's so easy to poke fun of Kevin Nash's legs, but did you ever see them before? They're like... They're like all... They're all fucked They're up. like deformed. Like, that's why he it's, always wore pants. He has deformed legs. Like, he don't have big... Like, you, he, you never saw him in, in tights. He always had long pants because his legs are, like, I guess he's handicapped, you know? Like, Yes, is it one leg bigger yeah. than the other, like longer than the other one, like by uh, a couple inches? Bend in, they both bend inwards. It's crazy. Like he posted yeah. a, pe- a picture of it on on Instagram, and he and he was explaining why he always wore long pants. He has deformed legs, and and it's easy to make fun of his quad. But if you go like just thinking about it, that's crazy, bro. Yeah, it it was, it was bad, man. And then the way you saw the pictures, you can see where he had all the operations yeah. and where they sewed him up and all the scars. It's bad, but. Man, I wish they would have been something completely different in WWF. I bring the NWO and just maybe uh, have a lot more people. I don't know. I, I feel like they, they ran its course because then they brought in uh, Shawn Michaels and the big show and Booker T. It wasn't the same yeah. thing. But imagine having the three main people there. I think it would have worked a lot better. Absolutely. Now, um, from 2002 to 2010, Scott Hall made sporadic appearances in TNA. He uh, feuded with Jeff Jarrett. AJ Styles, Hector Garza, and Samoa Joe, to name a few. You know, it was really forgettable for me. What say you? 
Uh, definitely very memorable. The only match that I was even telling you that I was looking forward to uh, was supposed to be Samoa Joe and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall versus uh, I, I, I forget who, but uh, Scott Hall never made an appearance. And then Samoa Joe just ripped him a new hole on the microphone. And then after that, Kevin Nash whipped his ass. But other than that, nothing very remember with him in the ring, honestly. Yeah, so um, now April 8, 2011, in what was called the Fall Rivers Incident, Scott Hall made an appearance for an indie promotion called TPR. Oh, man. Uh, this was horrible. Yeah, this was really hard to watch if you're a Scott, a Scott Hall fan. Scott Hall was so drunk and out of it that it, he he struggled to move around and he had to be helped to the to the um, to the ring <laughs> in and out of the ring. Yeah. Like it it was bad. Did, like, did he, fall he over? Was, like he fell over, right? I think he fell over in the ring. He just laid, laid in the ring for a minute before he got up, or something like that happened. It, it was bad. Again, there is a documentary. I, I believe ESPN made it, done it, or somebody like one of those uh, thirty for thirty film things. Uh, but it was sad. Like I, 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 I've seen drunk people in bad states, but to see one of the people that you know you grow up watching professional wrestler and just seeing him a, a shell of his former self, you know, yeah, I- just. Completely boozed up, completely shit face wasted. Like, I'm not gonna lie. When I was watching this documentary, I just got emotional. Yeah, uh, I, I just there was no way around it because you were like, "Damn, I want to help this guy." Like, it was bad. Yeah. Like, I don't know, no other way to describe it as as it. It was bad. Uh, like, like uh, he uh, when uh, Scott Hall would do, he remember he did that tornado punch. He'll th- throw two punches. And spin around and give you that third punch, and the guy will fall down. Uh, he tried to do that, and he spun around. It took him like a good half hour to spin around. And yeah, he fell. It, and it was it was it was bad. It was heartbreaking. He, he was uh, yelling at the crowd. He was like even fighting with the promotion people. Yeah. And uh, from what I heard, he's like pretty much banned from there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but um, I believe in 2012, though, thankfully. DDP saved his life. Uh, and, uh, you know what? Uh, big ups to DDP, man. That DDP yoga and the life-changing things he's doing with that, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, he <laughs> he brought back Scott Hall to life, you know? He did. And, and, and it's great to see because, uh, which we're going to talk about, because nobody wanted anything to do with Scott Hall. Like, WWE brought him in, left him out, you know? Like, they, they brought him into like here and there for like legend things, and then he was gone. And then you heard about a couple weeks later, he said he has to go to like some type of uh, uh, alcohol anonymous or he has to go to some type of group because he can't, he's not getting right, you know, and, and it's sad. Uh, but when we all heard that DDP was there to help, we knew that he was in great condition, working him out, getting him off the drugs and the alcohol. And even from this day, he still looks good right he's now. He's clean, he's clean, uh, clean. I remember, um, uh, I want to say it was WrestleMania 32 when Sting and uh, Triple H had their match. And, uh, oh, yeah. And uh, DX came out and um, they were helping Sting, and then the NWO's music came out. Man, I, I lost my mind right there because I don't care how old everybody was to see DX against the NWO. That was Ooh. phenomenal. Like, I got goosebumps right now talking about it. Oh man! As soon as you said that, I got good yeah. And that. how great just a reaction? How great does Scott Hall look? Like he was gonna put the Road Dog in the Razor's Edge, and uh, 
road dog like backdropped him and he took that bump like all old and he, he made it look great, you know. And it was great to see, especially when you think that someone wasn't even going to live to that point in time. Yeah. Especially hearing Goldie's story, just to see him come out with a huge pop, yeah. man. Uh, and, and it was WrestleMania, and it was a big match on the line. Yeah. WCW versus NW, obviously. WCW versus WWE, you know. And this was pretty much the the last nail in the coffin for WCW, yeah. if you could really think about yeah. it. Because Sting was the last guy to pretty much... Come over. Yeah, and, and but obviously, like you know, like people get mad that, that Triple H won that match, but you know, WWF won the war, so you know, exactly. I know that a lot of people are saying that Triple H is the you know yeah. reason why Sting lost that match, but what would do you think? What was going to happen? Yeah. You know, I mean, a dead brand is going to win. Come on, let's get. Yeah, I I was I was all right with that because yeah. WWE is pretty much won everything and let WCW just go away, let it just. Rest in peace. Yeah. In other words, <laughs> yeah. But when that music hit, man, that was awesome. Now, yeah, I, I, I would have never thought to see both those teams uh, just going at it at a WrestleMania, no less, just all battling each other. You know, and, helping, helping friends. And nobody knew about that. Nobody knew that that was going to happen. And it was great because uh, uh, I, I just, I, I remember that clearly because they all just came down wearing their NWO. Yeah, they're all just like, oh, let's go. And then you got X Pac there, like, who am I supposed yeah. to? Oh, how about this? And if you, well, you let's think about it. Even let's let's let's, let's delve deeper into that, right? Um, Sting and the NWO always warred with each other, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, how crazy it was for the NWO to come out and protect Sting, you know, like of all people. Yeah, now that, that's like you know, you have siblings, you got brothers. Like your brother will kick your ass and, and pick on you. But if somebody uh picks on somebody else tries to do that, your big brother will come and get you. You know that's that's what yeah. it reminded me of. Like no, no, you nobody's gonna mess with him but us. You know, mm-hmm. I just love I love that. Like I, as a wrestling fan, that was truly one of the a uh, big mark out moment for me. You know, yeah, uh, it was definitely a mark out moment for me because you had like the the two biggest groups from each individual wrestling promotions you know just going at it at one point in time even though they're not all in their prime at least we got to see it you know yes sir now um of that same year the day before let's go back a month before that on march 24 2014 razor ramon was announced as the seventh and final inductee for the wwe class for the wwe hall of fame class of 2014 so that was awesome right there so this the speech that he was giving at the Hall of Fame, you know, it just it hit off all points because we all knew what Scott Hall was going through. And yep. uh, at the end of his, his speech, you know, he had one thing to say. And I'm not going to lie. It, it hit me down below. And when he said this, it stuck with me. And I, I wish it, it would stick with a lot of people, you know, because as a hard person that who he went through drugs, different promotions and wrestling injuries, he always overcame them, you know. And what he said was, hard work pays off. Dreams come true. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Dude, when he hit me with that, with those words, goosebumps. I was like, oh, my God. That was one of the greatest things I ever heard. And you know what? Everything he said there was everything that described him. Yeah, and um, that saying can help a lot of people in life, you know? Like, it, it, that's, that quote is some real shit right there, you know? And like, I, I, I know that people help people with this, you know, with their speeches and stuff like that. And this is one of the things that he said he wanted to put in there for himself. Yeah. Because he felt like it's 
it, it just, it was his life. And, yeah. oh, goosebumps. And even talk about it right now, it's just like, ooh, oh, man. Yeah. And that was a three count. And this has been this episode of Wrestling with PTSD. So, um, prime time. I'm going to have some follow-up questions for you on the one and only Scott Hall, Racer Ramon. All right? Let, let him rip. Let him rip. Okay, so who was your favorite Scott Hall character? Uh, Razor Ramon, no doubt. Just okay. because he was just so that machismo-ness. Just he was a perfect bad guy, even though he wasn't a bad guy. Because, hell, he was always the bad guy, but a good guy in any ways. But uh, <laughs> best character, uh, again, he did a whole bunch. I felt like they could have did a lot more with him. But my favorite character, definitely Razor Ramon. I have to agree with you on this one. Okay. Now, which one was your favorite outfit? The Razor Ramon outfit or the Outsiders outfit? Uh, this is a tough one because I always dig that Outsiders outfit where there was like the dripping blood. Yep. Uh, the red one. But I'm going to have to. The reason why I'm going to have to take was because that match he had with. If I didn't get to see the match with him and uh, Bret Hart where he was wearing that whole red with the, uh, the razors that were gold. I would definitely say the Scott Hall, but I'm going to have to go with that one with the Razor Ramon. Okay. Well, my, uh, mine is the actually the, the Lone Wolf Scott Hall when it was the blood dripping, but it was white and black, and it said Lone Wolf. That was my favorite outfit. Oh, uh, left field. Okay. okay. I, like that. I like that. Okay. Now, which was uh, your favorite match from Scott Hall, Razor Ramon? Anybody? Uh, definitely had to be that Bret Hart one because uh, even we had this discussion where I said, listen, uh, we were going to do the Royal Rumble one and the uh, when he fought him for the King of the Ring against Bret Hart. Uh, we were going back and forth on that one. I would have to agree just watching the both at the time. I would have to say the one with Bret Hart for the King. I mean, uh, Bret Hart for the Royal Rumble. See, out of those two matches, the Bret Hart one is my – I mean, the, the Royal Rumble one is my favorite. Now, my favorite match from Scott Hall was the WrestleMania 10 ladder match with him and Shawn Michaels. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Okay. Know. Uh, damn. You, you, you make me switch up my <laughs> No, you know what? I'm just going to go. I'm going to have to say Bret Hart. I, bet, I, I would say the latter match a little bit more just for the fact that he won it, uh, won the titles. Uh, and those are kind of look, uh, but I'm going to stick with mine. I'm going to stick with mine. Yours okay. is a great one, but I'm going to stick with mine. Lockerman. Okay. Now, where does he fall or rank in your personal favorite uh, listing of wrestling? <laughs> oh, man. It's Bret Hart. <laughs> Macho Man Randy Savage and then Razor Ramon. Yeah. Uh, as much as I love uh, Razor Ramon, he's my number five. Yeah. I rank him number five. Yeah, because uh, I love Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Hogan, Undertaker, then Razor Ramon. Okay. Okay. See, all respectable legends. See? See? Yeah. I like that. So, top five, 100%. So uh, make sure you tune in next week for Wrestling with PTSD where we speak of. Uh, The Legion of Doom, baby. That's what we're doing next week. So please tune in to watch us discuss, uh, listen to us discuss the legendary team, the Royal Warrior Animal, Royal Warrior Hawk, the Legion of Doom. Uh, tune in. This is going to be uh, another one of our great things because we are both fans of these gentlemen. Uh, Absolutely. Me, let them rip, man. Let them know. So, yeah. So uh, next week, we'll be talking about the legendary team, as Primetime said, Hawk and Animal. From their early days of NWA to the end at uh, WWE um, and everything in between. So make sure you tune in next Sunday around 8 o'clock.
My name is Primetime. And I'm Sonny D. And thank and you for, thank listening, you for to listening to Wrestling with PTSD. Boom! <laughs>